Okay, so the series I saw that I really liked was Trial by Media on Netflix. So the episode that I liked specifically was King Richard. And it was really interesting um, to look at how, what's the way to say it? So he had a whole pharmaceutical company, right? That was, and I, I think it really captured the imagination because it was Horatio Alger's story, right? So that's when there's a bootstrap where a poor, not poor, but kind of local boy makes good. And that was the narrative he put out there and made astronomical money in his country, country company. Of course, what happens uh, is it turns out there was lots of scamming going on behind that, which I think we don't talk enough about. And it was about how he beat the criminal charges. So the government came after him because they were doing some scammy stuff with the books to make it look like they had more money than they actually did. And he alleged that he didn't know anything about it. But of course, everyone on the board was like, okay, he didn't do it, but he told us to do it. We came to him with the real numbers and he said, no, you make it look profitable so that we can report something positive to our shareholders and staff and mostly shareholders. And so it's about when he tries to fight the charges and his lawyer tells him the important thing is going to be your PR campaign, not what happens in the courtroom. It's kind of like it follows after. And it was so good. And one of the things I thought they did well in that was showed how black is a political constituency. And so it was through politics that race is realized. Um, and what he decides to do is he joins a black church. <laughs> Um, and he alleged that he so he got I, I should add this is in the south and unfortunately I did not make a note about which state it's in so of course the U.S. is very segregated but the south in terms of churches you're definitely going to have these well really that's everywhere I shouldn't even say that in the south but nevertheless there's black churches and white churches so he alleges oh I was shunned by my community and so I needed to go to God that was the most important thing and so that that was the church that could welcome me I know I couldn't even watch it with a straight face like is he for real and the worst part was that you had so many black pastors jumping on the bandwagon to defend him and you thought what was that about? So what he did though, what was really slick was he donated a lot of money. So we have something that happens in church. I don't know if you've ever been to a Protestant church as you give testimony. So something we do in church is testimony where you give a personal, it's a personal reflection about what God has done in your life. And that space is usually made open for anyone. So visitors want to come and do it. Anyone can. There's time set aside in church for that, usually before the sermon. So he would go to made his rounds to the black churches and, of course, made sure to donate some money. And that is how he got them on board. And so it's about how race is used to get what someone wants. And what was interesting was he tied it to the civil rights struggle and so did his lawyer right so it turned into a story about patriotism as opposed to struggle and resistance so it was civil rights as helping america live up to its values versus well no this is an anti-racist struggle for black americans because even though legally they're citizens they're in practice treated as second class citizens right and the media created different characters and it was interesting to see him kind of change his name was Richard Scrooge and he transformed himself into a Donald Trump like figure because that's the other thing he always wanted to be in a rock band so at his company annual gatherings he would get on stage and he had his rocker gear and he was like <laughs> 
playing music on stage, which is why I've never gone to a company party in my whole life. I hate those things. And that's what he did. He got on stage and he really turned though from this sort of Donald Trump like figure to daddy Warbucks. And I felt like that was really how he was trying to present himself as sort of a daddy Warbucks. So instead of his conspicuous consumption that had really was the dominant feature in his life, he became an underdog philanthropist. And so by doing this, I, you could see how he could put himself in blackface by going to a black church and then surrounding himself by black ministers and saying, my story is similar to the black story personified because I'm the underdog fighting and using my faith to get me through sticking to the truth. I mean, you just wanted to throw up. So in the end, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to law school because I was quite impressed that they were able to transform him, transform him into that so he could beat his charges. Uh, but it's also a lesson on the importance of storytelling for any really social movement, really. So, um, and of course on the social commentary side, it really, uh, I thought was telling about black leadership. I don't think the black pastors were stupid. I wouldn't, because that's what they, their kind of clapback was people were treating us like we were stupid for standing by him. I don't think they were stupid. I do think, however, uh, they were not leading the church as a black institution. They were allowing themselves to be used by anyone who thinks they need their help. And it's like, that's not what an institution is supposed to, to be. So that was it. So yeah, the, there's several episodes, but that was my favorite King Richard. So that was the episode of Trial by Media that you'd recommend watching. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it was good. Because I like American Greed. So because I like American Greed, I want to see. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that show. Because in America, as you know, it is so, so much about upward mobility, capitalism, success, bootstrapping. And they never want to tell the reality is that because people believe those stories, they get scammed all the time. You just never hear about that. All the time, people get scammed in these sort of investment pyramid schemes. And now with COVID, I'm telling you, even people who... I think are generally okay. My hardworking friends are sending me pyramid scheme stuff. It's like, Lord have mercy. And it's like, it's not even to me on the one hand, I think, should I say something? But on the other hand, it's like, I don't think when you're so, cause my mom has been, I can't tell you how, how many MLMs I've had to witness in my life. And I have just found it futile to explain to people why MLMs only work if you come in at the beginning and you're at the top and willing to exploit other people. And unless those things are at play, it's not going to, you're not going to make money from that. But so I just think uh, it would fall on deaf ears. So it's best not to say anything, but I'm just reeling because I think this is what the system has done to us, made us susceptible to every sort of scammy thing. And they really tap into people's not only aspirations, but desperation and a legacy of, especially black people, like a legacy of black business in this country to say like, don't you want to rebuild what we had? And it's not a hundred years ago, so it's not even gonna happen anyway. So yes, good series. So what they had on Netflix, I'm not sure if you caught it, was the Black Lives Matter collection. And I thought their choices were interesting and I couldn't quite figure out the logic behind some of their films. So what they had in the collection, did you ever catch the Khalif Bowder story? It was a documentary, documentary series in 2017. Okay, so that's in the collection, but this Santoya Brown story, Murder to Mercy, is not in the Black Lives Matter collection. 
which I didn't quite get. It's like, well, how? And then they include Michelle Obama's story in Black Lives Matter collection. It's like, Centoya Brown's life as a black woman is much closer to black life than Michelle Obama's. So I'm not sure how that happened. So Centoya Brown was convicted of murder. And I think what they were trying to do with this, this um, tell the story of her without discussing mass incarceration, which I think was a failure. But what happened with her was she was had dysfunctional family to say the least. And she was later adopted when she was, I want to say she must have been a preteen, so maybe 11 when she was adopted. And she never really, though, escaped her foundation, right? So she ended up with this quote unquote boyfriend, which now we would call sex trafficking. But at the time, she was with her boyfriend and he was, I don't want to say making her, but she was prostituting to earn them money. And so she was picked up by this man. And mind you, he was, so she at this time must be 15 or 16. And she gets picked up by this guy who's in his 30s. And she says that she felt uncomfortable because they went to his house instead of a hotel. And she thought he was going to reach for a gun and kill her. So she shot him. So the prosecution contends that she really just wanted to rob him, which is why she shot him and then stole his truck. And so she was sentenced. And what we do in the U.S. is you get life and no parole. You can, depending on the crime. So that's what she was sentenced to. And then there was a social media push and there was some other things happening in terms of getting her case relooked at and she was released. And I think she served 15 years. So that was the story of that. But they didn't really talk about race, which was a problem for me. And they gave lots of background on her family, which is helpful because we, all of these things, even the, the term dysfunctional, right? So it's one thing to be dysfunctional in a dysfunctional family, but you still have lots of strong institutions and social networks around you versus being in the South, lots of collapse of families and systems and work. Those are two different things. So I think they did a good job of explaining her mother's background and her growing up and they tried to present both sides in terms of the defense and the prosecution in her case but never they they never talked about race so it was like they were looking to redefine justice I think so instead of punishment to say it's about reform receiving the right outcomes there's a shot for example the former prosecutor who later comes to the parole board to say advocate for her release and when he's reading a book the camera shows him reading a book and he's highlighted a section on restorative justice so you know but you, we see where they were going with that but i think we need to start rooting things in evidence so there was another documentary oh shoot and i didn't write it down but it's a similar one and this one he talks about how his brother is murdered but he gives a whole context of why black people were in that part of the city, what the parents did for a living, what was, you know, like you get context for everything. And it doesn't take long to do that. You know, it really takes five minutes for you to set it up and they don't really do that at all. And something I want to throw out there is if we just look at the numbers. So for example, okay, in 2015, the Tennessee population was 6.6 .6 million. Now, according to the prison policy initiative, 
The prison population was 58,000, which is a per capita of, and per capita, it's, you know, per 100,000, so not really per capita. So per 100,000, that's 853. Now this is compared to 139 in the UK and 102 in France. Okay, so they're at 853. Now, to help us understand like the scale we're talking about here in 2019, the UK's prison population was a little over 92,000, but that's for 67 million people. So you see, it's like they have less than double and they've got 10 times the number of people. So it would be if the UK incarcerated 580,000 people. Like you'd be, well, we can't really understand anyone get, getting locked up without that. So I think it was well-intentioned, but I don't think it was, yeah, just not providing a context and situating it appropriately. So I would say I do, I do recommend it for people to see it, uh, but Khalif Browder's story was certainly a better one. So that's it. Oh, wait. And then one more documentary. I forgot about that. American Gospel 2018. So as you know, I am a backsliding evangelical Baptist, although I still do believe. So I want to be clear about that. So backsliding, just I don't go to church. And to be fair, I've not really made an effort to find a church home. Every time I go, I'm rolling my eyes. Like my aunt tells me, you know, when you go to church and if you see a problem, it's your responsibility to join and make those changes. It's like, stop it. They don't want to change. And certainly not some spinster with no family connections in the church is going to make that change so let's you know, let's put our energy where it counts so i did really like this documentary american gospel it was from 2018 and i thought it was great pr for my beliefs because it was about being against prosperity gospel so i really enjoyed that and it was, um, I don't know if you had that in the UK, the WWJD bracelets. It was, what would Jesus do? Instead of wearing a crucifix, like a cool thing to do as sort of a reminder. But they were really, their central message was really that churches today, and this is what they're problematizing, right? That churches today are moralistic and therapeutic. And through that, you've lost Christ, which is the message of the gospel. And that was really the church tradition that I was raised in. And it transitioned over time because our pastor died. And then we got a new pastor who was conservative. And even though he did not, he wasn't a hardcore prosperity gospel. He was definitely of the mind that you get blessed when you tithe. And even as a nine-year-old, I thought, mm, that's not right. That's got nothing to do. But only because I hadn't heard it before, too. So it was also kind of hit me in the face to say, wait, you have to tithe to get a blessing. When has that ever been the case? And for me, especially being raised in the church my whole life, I was so desperate to get baptized and desperate to be part of the church and so enthusiastic about my religion. I was appalled by that shift I saw over time. And ultimately, once I got a job when I was 15, it gave me an excuse to not go anymore. So I didn't. Um, but to kind of see this done in a very clear way to bring lots of talking heads, um, I thought it worked well. However, there were, of course, few important blind spots. And one was, I think the prosperity gospel is going to have a different message for different groups of people. And I think specifically for black people, prosperity gospel will hit in another way. And we think about this time, especially when we see, even though reparations has always been part of, I don't want to say discourse, but part of traditions of black politics it's never been on the national stage as it is now and i think that's part of what we're up against is people don't believe in the group and understanding the specific institutions and conditions that have created a group they're looking for 
their own blessing and how they are going to get a come up for their family. And I think prosperity gospel really plays into that because it promotes this message that when you behave and when you are good, good things happen to you. When we know that oppression means the exact opposite, it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> it's got, it's completely disconnected from that. Even though, of course, I think I am, I do understand that there are people who, you know, we all know the people who have the least give the most. So I certainly don't believe that being disenfranchised or marginalized or oppressed turns you into some sort of subhuman monster who doesn't help other people. You tend to see the opposite, right? People st sticking more together. But nevertheless, I think it really takes the steam out of that political message. And then, of course, they didn't bring up liberation theology, which I thought was strange. So it's like, I think you're going to have to say how the gospel fits into that message of liberation theology or maybe they don't think that it does in which case either way it should be discussed they didn't bring that up they um but but nevertheless i think that was a hard enough message to get across because people are really into this prosperity gospel i have heard just awful stories of people really believing that giving money is going to get them a blessing it it's like the self-help marketing and movement has hijacked the church to say the church isn't about the gospel and it isn't what God says about the church and how the church should operate. It becomes a place for your personal realization, like a, a very individualistic when the church is the opposite of that. Almost like, you know what it's like is like hyper normalization. It's like everything has become about the individual. So at least before, if you thought you were getting money, you were going to do something with it. You were going to help people like your, you showed your wealth by giving it away, which is totally different from now you show your wealth by hoarding it and buying things you don't need. Did you mean century of the self? I meant century of the self. And I said hypernormalization and I totally meant century of the self. Ah, I always get those confused. I wasn't a huge fan of hypernormalization. It was too confusing to me. It's like, well, look, I can't know what's real. All I can watch is the media. That's I'm not going to travel and try to find out these stories for myself. And even when you do, they shelter you as a tourist. So it's like how the media can create. No, no, no. But I totally meant since you have the self. And few people want to watch it. And it's good. The time passes so quickly. You don't even notice you sat there. And I watched the whole thing at once. It was good. Right. That was documentaries. What about films? Okay. Well, I only had one film. It was Malcolm X, which was also in the Black Lives Matter collection. And I could not believe that that was in 1992 when that film came out. So it's three hours and 21 minutes. It feels like 90 minutes. And I think it is to say that we really need a miniseries because it is such a big story to tell of Malcolm X. I do like it because of actually what we were talking about before. It centers on the political education of the revolutionary, exposes contradictions. Um, and I think it tried to really challenge the stereotype of Malcolm X, which was he was a demagogue. So the story centered on Malcolm X's political education, which I think is important. And it shows that there are contradictions in both black life and white racism. And Malcolm X was, or is still, I think, in popular culture, characterized as a demagogue. And this really tried to challenge that characterization of Malcolm X to show the truth behind what he was saying, why he believed it, and you get a somewhat a sense of that journey. So the only criticisms I have, and it's difficult because, again, a huge figure in just three hours, it's really hard to do, but I thought that it should have grounded Malcolm X more in his family to get a sense of their economic and political grounding 
so you could get a sense of where that came from. So um, his family was in that time considered, given how most black people lived, right, considered middle class, like his sister had a nice house when he came to live with her. She and her brother introduced him to the Nation of Islam. And they leave all that out of the film. And I think it's important to know that it was part of his family before he went on to do all of the you know great things he did with the nation of islam and i also think that for being 1992 it was an amazing achievement i mean i can't even think of anything that's come close to that in the last 30 years on any black political figures of what they did with malcolm x so i think if it was to be made today they would have lost a lot of Malcolm X's message and it would be shorter and it'd be focused on something cultural like his natural hair journey they would have spent a whole hour on that because <laughs> that's how films do these things. yeah they would totally do that and so I'm glad it was made in 1992 um and and I'm sure they would have spent like one hour one and a half hours on that. And then the other two hours would have been on building black businesses. That would have been the Malcolm X story if it was told today. So I'm glad it was told then. I'm glad they're showing it again because I've not seen it since it was in the theaters. I mean, they also could have done more with Betty because I did not come away. And I know it's Malcolm X. I mean, that's the name of the film. Nevertheless, it would have also been good to see more about Betty, who I think just you, of course, got the sense that she was his wife but you never really got a sense of who she was and I guess it wasn't really all that important but it still would have been good to see why not tack on an extra 10 minutes and have us learn more about Betty why not so to sum up what sort of uh, theme or red line or thread did you feel ran through all the documentaries you mentioned and and Malcolm X I think the theme that unites them is black aspiration and I think they all touched on that in some way so the first one was in the trial by the series Trial by Media, King Richard episode. I mentioned Khalif Browder's story, but of course could not watch that again. So um, the third was Murder to Mercy, the Centoya Brown story. And finally, American Gospel. Right, and Malcolm X. All right, thank you very much.